This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm Cheryl Coolman. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are here live every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 Eastern. And then we're replayed throughout the week. So if you miss us one day, you can catch us later on or bring us up on your app. You're just nodding happily there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, it's very true. There are lots of ways to access our content these days. We've got podcasts available on our website of some segments. We've got the app where you can sort of on demand um, your favorite shows. So we thank you. If we're one of them. Wonderful. And so what I want to do is give you a little rundown about the guests we have coming up. We will be um, talking with Michael Young, who's the manager of education programs at USSIF, the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investments. And we'll be talking about what USSIF is, um, the kind of research and trends that they see, but also some of the new educational offerings they're doing. And, of course, being an educational institution, the uh, educational aspects are always important to us. But I think it's also indicative of uh, increasing demand for knowledge and training in, in an area that we're quite fond of the impact investing area. Yes, and for our listeners who were with us a few weeks ago, we talked to the College of Financial Planning about some work they did with the USF, so we'll have a chance to ask one or two questions about the other side of that work. Exactly. And then we'll be joined by Ethan Powell, who's the founder and president of Impact Shares. And Impact Shares is doing uh, an interesting approach, creating an exchange-traded fund that is going to be supporting the NAACP. So that's... Um, a really interesting approach to thinking about how you get capital to where it needs to go. And that's always the problem that we're really trying to solve at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. And then we'll be joined uh, by Kim Arata, who's the Global Senior Director of Corporate Responsibility for Molson Coors. Well, so we'll close the, the guest with beer mm-hmm. kind of thing and, and talk about corporate social responsibility, what they're doing, and why why beer matters. Yes, and sadly not an in-studio guest with samples. <laughs> we'll have a whole flight. A good thing it would be the, the 9.30 segment. <laughs> and then at 9.30, we will have our open segment. And this is a chance for um, us to recap what we've learned from our guests, which I think is helpful for listeners who may have missed the first guest, and now they can hear us recapping a little mm-hmm. bit and decide whether they want to go find it at another point. Um, it's a chance for people to call in, ask questions, Questions, suggest guests that they want to hear, raise some questions about current events, etc. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a freewheeling kind of time, but I think it's good. It gives us an opportunity to um, really think about what we've heard from our guests. Yes, and we hope you join us for that. Give us a call. As Cheryl mentioned, that number is one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Exactly. So without further delay, I'm going to welcome Michael Young. Manager of Education Programs at USCIF. Welcome, Michael. Good morning. Thank you. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Great. We're doing well. We're doing well. Great. So, so um, I don't know how many of our listeners know what USCIF is. So why don't you just start with that broad sense of here's what we are and here's what we do. Sure. Okay. So USCIF, and you gave our full title, which is the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment is the leading voice in the U.S. for advancing sustainable, responsible, and impact investing across all asset classes and investment vehicles. So our mission, and we're a membership organization, is to 
as quickly as possible shift investment practices towards sustainability and, of course, with a long-term focus uh, for the investment end and the idea of uh, trying to uh, get the trends of positive social and environmental impacts coming out of the financial services space. And so our membership, uh, since I mentioned we're a membership organization, ranges from investment management and advisory firms, which includes ETF and mutual fund companies and separate account managers, to asset owners, research firms, data providers, uh, all the way down to uh, what I consider the front line of financial services in the U.S., which is financial planners and advisors. Mm -hmm. And so... What trends have you been seeing in uh, your membership and, and their what they're doing in terms of in moving dollars? So interestingly, uh, every two years, and so your timing of, the, of this question is great, we put of out course. a report uh, <laughs> called uh, the uh, Biennial uh, Trend Survey, and it comes out in even number of years. So at the end of October this year, we'll have the newest one. Um, I can't speak to uh, some of the data other than to say so far what I've seen suggests that the trends we have noticed in previous years are continuing. And that trend uh, has been increasing investment. Very much. Yeah. And and uh, really starting in 2012, there seemed to be a real hockey stick in terms of uh, when you look at the bar chart of uh, how that trend is going. So, you know, as an example, uh, we jumped from uh, uh, essentially – a uh, uh, $2 trillion in, in, in a two-year stretch from 2014 to 2016. So that's uh, a, a really exciting trend. And when you say jumped $2 trillion, what dollars are we talking about? How do you sort of characterize what counts? That's a great question. So w what we're analyzing or, or what we're accounting for is assets that we consider uh, uh, managed by professional management inside of the United States. So that doesn't include the whole world. Our, our report focuses uh, just on U.S.-based asset managers. And so that's the dollars that they have in-house that they uh, describe as having um, uh, some sort of investment approach that we would consider SRI. So that could be ESG application. That could be uh, directly measuring impact, um, et, et cetera. And, and, Michael, I'm wondering, you know, that rise at hockey sticks, so our listeners can imagine, you know, you get a, a slight increase for that first, whatever it is, foot of the hockey stick, right, and then right. this, you know, this yeah. big sort of very aggressive um, increase. Um, is that increase, I imagine it's due to increased participation of existing members, but who who else has joined the conversation? Like, how has the the demographic of participant in impact investing changed in your in your time? So what I'd say is there, uh, you know, that that growth, especially uh, from 2014 to 2016, which was you know 33 percent, which is a, a massive jump, and yeah. you, you you know you would think, uh, uh, well, it'd be great if it continues, but you'd think that's a that's a percentage that's hard to repeat. Um, I think what it is is a, a couple of things. One is there has now been more than a decade of empirical research that shows it's it's a non-negative event to incorporate sustainable, responsible, and impact investment strategies. Uh, the old myth, I would say call it pre-2000, was that if you chose a responsible investment of any sort, part of that decision was accepting that you may lose out on financial results. Sure, the, the, uh, they were all supposed to be concessionary. That's right, and that has really changed. I think uh, the combination of that empirical evidence being out there 
And then the fact that some very large firms uh, had been in some capacity incorporating a portion of uh, ESG research in their normal financial services uh, processes uh, realized, hey, you know, we're maybe missing some components, but we're already doing a piece of this, so we should spend some more time. And, you know, one example I give folks is that if you look inside of the fixed income investment universe, there's no doubt that governance was a big part of most firms, if they were active managers, uh, uh assessment of leadership. <laughs> so they maybe didn't think of themselves as doing the G mm. and ESG, but they were. And now they're recognizing the benefits and maybe looking at other components, which um, maybe further ascribe uh, uh, ways to avoid risk, if, if not find potential additional returns. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, because um, if, if I was being a um, knee-jerk skeptic, I'd say, well, you know they're not, they're just packaging it differently. They were sure. you know it's all of a sudden mm. it becomes ESG. But I also suspect that once you acknowledge that this is a thing, you know, and that it counts as part of the ESG, it gives you more um, uh, incentive to try to do it better, to sort of learn more about it and pay more attention to it because you recognize it does have value. It was something that you did before, but now you're kind of increasing the value. So I think that's a, a good thing that companies are recognizing. Oh, we've been doing that all along. Let's let's put a name on it and let's let's sort of focus on that a little bit more. Yeah, probably also that's decreases right. the friction to entry because you're you're not saying it's a whole new thing. You're going, oh, we, well, we already do some of that. Right. It works quite well. So we're more friendly to welcoming these other dimensions. I completely agree. Uh, that's a big part of it is that uh, certainly some folks may have had uh, preconceived notions that weren't accurate. And as they realized they were already doing a part of what is involved in this universe, they realized, oh, okay, yeah. This is just additional financial data. This isn't something different. This is something that already exists, and it's getting more granular and more useful, um, and we should probably do it as well. Well, and, and I love the way you phrased it there, and that's something that we've done in other conversations. It's sort of like if you're going to be making – if you're an investor and if you're doing due diligence, you want to have as much information as you can. And so that's right. these additional bits of information aren't – aren't irrelevant or from a different kind of, of approach. They are part and parcel of what you will be looking at if you're trying to make a decision. Yeah. Sometimes when we're talking to skeptics of impact investing, my question is, do would, they exist anymore? Would, uh, they're still around. <laughs> um, you know, would you want your advisor ignoring any pieces of information when making your investment decisions? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not to say this, that that needs to be the dimension that they make a decision on, but wouldn't you want to see all of this? Wouldn't you want to know how their water use is, you yeah. know, sits in current trends around regulations and all these different things? Um, but I think that might be a nice foray into my next question, which is, you know, the vision of USF, I'm grabbing this from your website, is that environmental, social, and governance, so ESG, for our listeners who aren't familiar, that those impacts are meaningfully assessed in all investment decisions, resulting in a more sustainable and equitable society. We certainly agree. Um, meaningfully assessed, though, sounds good and is super hard to do. Um, so, you know, measuring the financials seems like a cakewalk compared to measuring uh, impact. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you do that, the challenges of doing it, and, um, and sort of what you're working on? Sure. What I would what I would say, uh, and pardon me for my voice this morning, uh, is that you're exactly right on the uh, what I would call the traditional uh, uh, investment 
uh, and which in, you know includes easily accessible products like separate accounts, mutual funds, and ETFs. The application of, at the very least, some ESG metrics is pretty easy now, and uh, we we can test the results and we can see how it matches up. Um, and measurability is very simple in that way. Uh, direct impact investing uh, is more difficult because there isn't a uniformity in types of projects, and impact is very much local. So if you travel the country and you meet with investment firms that have local impact initiatives, uh, whether they're public-private partnerships, uh, they'll tell you that many of the projects are driven by localities, what municipalities are looking to do, what uh, uh, different nonprofit organizations in their regions may want to do. And so it's very difficult because, uh, first of all, many direct in- impact investments um, have higher thresholds to entry. You may have to be an accredited investor. Right. So not everybody can do it. Um, and then the second part of it is exactly what you said, which is uh, measurability. Uh, projects aren't uniform, so uh, it is it is a big challenge. I would argue that um, we've had this in financial services forever when it came to private equity projects and hedge funds. There may have been an ability to measure year to year, quarter to quarter, just in terms of portfolio results, but uh, it, it would be hard to guess, depending on the length of the project, what uh, long-term financial outcomes would be, uh, many times driven by the large asset owner or, or client. Um, I think impact investing is getting there, um, but it's not as easy as reaching out to a data provider like Bloomberg right. or Stainalytics or Morningstar or MSCI and say, hey, uh, I want to do an apples-to-apples comparison between these two projects because they can be very, very different, uh, you know, something that's happening in Florida versus something that's happening in Wisconsin. Great. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 132. If you want to give us a call and learn a little bit more about what USF is doing, you can give us uh, a ring at 844-942-7866. That's 844-WARDEN. And you can also email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. So, Michael, you were talking um, before our reentry there about the difference in impact measurement, something happening in Florida that's concerned with coastal erosion is going to be some, very different than something that's happening in Nebraska with regard to you know crops and nutrition. What are your recommendations or what are the trends that you're optimistic about with regards to helping to get to the next level of impact measurement that, you know, sort of reduces that challenge? So what I would say is, because I hesitate to recommend any particular uh, <laughs> we understand at, at USF, but we, we represent a large universe. And uh, for folks that are maybe not as familiar uh, with the impact investing end, uh, there are resources on our website that I would direct folks to where you can, um, and that's ussif.org, uh, where you can learn a little bit more about uh, the specifics of direct impact investing or what potential options are. The other thing I would say for anyone listening is if they're a financial professional, the resources to you are the full, the, the firms that are bringing these uh, investments to the broader market, and it's good to connect with them to learn a little bit about each of their individual projects. Uh, and as an investment professional, you're going to have to do some betting on your own, um, as you would anything else. If you're a, uh, an individual investor or maybe have a financial advisor, you know, part of the reason to hire a financial advisor is to uh, delegate. So ask them to look into this. And uh, there are resources available to them 
not just from USF, but from uh, other organizations that are now starting to pay attention to what's out in the direct impact space. Right, and that's a great segue into the chartered uh, SRI counselor designation that, that you have created with the College for Financial Planning. So do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and what, why, sure. why people saw the need for it? Yeah, so we're very excited about it. So that partnership uh, uh, became official this year. The designation program will begin in the fall, um, and the College for Financial Planning, who are experts in bringing these different designations to market, is is uh, driving the charge in terms of building out um, the the modules and all the technology for folks that want to take it. Um, so uh, keep your eyes peeled or your ears uh, open for uh, announcements closer to Labor Day when it uh, will be announced as available yeah, and for we're, students. Yeah, we're excited uh, to to know that you're you're offering this kind of tr- training and designation we have in inside our offices we have a hypothesis that th- there's often a gap between the people who say that they're um, willing and interested in doing sort of impact investing and ESG investing and the money going into such funds. And you're kind of thinking, well, there should be more given that kind of level of interest. And yeah. and our internal hypothesis is that part, part of the challenge is the financial advisor there, right? Because if your financial advisor doesn't know about the ESG stuff, they're mm-hmm. either not going to raise it with you or they may deflect it a little bit, or they may not uh, have the kind of best advice. And so getting the financial advisors to know more about ESG, to have some confidence and authority in this topic, we think will help um, investors to have more access to these kinds of funds. Right, absolutely. Can you, I mean, imagine, you know, you're sitting across from your financial advisor and going, you know, what about this product? I heard about this. And they say with confidence, oh, absolutely. You know, you're going to get 6% return on that. That's a good addition to your portfolio for this reason. Let's move this amount of money. I feel good about that. Okay. You might feel like I'm able to make this decision. If on the flip side, you say, what about this impact investing thing? Like there's this she ETF and I care about women and, you know, I, yeah. I'm a Girl Scout troop leader or whatever. And so I care. And they're like, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, so I'm starting to see some stuff about, well, I mean, we could talk about that. That's a very different response as the investor. Like, I, I'm not hearing the confidence, confidence I need yeah. to that, you know, you know this product, that it it has, you know, and it's not even necessarily to say that the data is not there. It's just, you're exactly right, Michael. Like, one of the main reasons you have a financial advisor is to outsource, to not have to be an expert. And so if the person you trust as the expert isn't fluent, um you you want them making decisions on things they're informed about. And so, um, yeah, I think this designation is going to go a long way. And it's something that, you know, we see this disproportionate percentage of millennials and women responding to surveys, as Cheryl was saying, not, right. not the money movement quite yet, but responding to surveys saying, we do care more about impact investing. We do care more yeah. about, you know, the, the sort of ESG dimensions of our, you know, investment capital so this might be something that helps them make a decision about selecting an advisor, especially millennials. I don't know yeah. what percentage. I don't really know. We should we should figure this out. Like, what's the average age someone begins to see a financial advisor or oh. the average income level? But um, I imagine yeah. some millennials are still just, you know, using their Mint app and have a checking yeah. account, maybe a 401k. So, Michael, you got thoughts on that? 
Well, uh, for starters on the millennial, I think that would the millennial uh, and, and the history of average investment age, that would be a really interesting to do the research on that. Yeah. Uh, but it's not really in our wheelhouse to do the demographic <laughs> studies, but what I would Don't say worry, is, we're always hungry for research questions. Uh, so good. <laughs> Uh, but um, no doubt about it, I, it, it uh, to your point on the, the, the rate of adoption of these types of investments, uh, we know it's inevitable because the millennials will become the largest working portion of our population in the next 15 years um, and therefore uh, our largest uh, active uh, regularly investing population through retirement plans. Um, so it's inevitable that the shift will occur um, um, year by year. To, back to the education side of it uh, and financial advisors, I think you're absolutely right. It's part of the reason we wanted to partner with the College for Financial Planning is one of the pieces of our mission is to enhance the rigor of the field. Mm-hmm. And on our website, one of the projects I've worked on is our introductory course, and it takes about three, three and a half hours, whether you do it online or in person where we do live trainings a handful of times a year across the country. Um, But what we found was the next step very often was just to have a passion for it and learn on your own. There really wasn't anything intermediate or expert. And what's great is many organizations now are starting to bring additional education to the field and to to plug a few of them. uh, My friends at the Money Management Institute, MMI, are working with Morningstar to create some uh, intermediate uh, education for advisors and financial professionals in this space. And then on the expert level, of course, you can go for advanced degrees at universities, but now we will have this designation for particularly focused on financial advisors, although we would recommend it to anyone working in um, the uh, publicly traded and, and uh, sort of traditionally uh, allocated investment space, so ETFs, mutual funds, separate accounts. Um, and we're really looking forward to it because the, essentially what will come out of this is hopefully year after year additional pockets of the, the, the population of financial advisors across the country being, as you said, fluent and talking about this and having, uh, if they want, uh, an academic approach to becoming experts. So it's not just a particular passion from their end or from a client that asked them to get smarter about it, but that they can actually not only get a designation that runs them through the history of SRI, where it came from, what it means today, how folks are uh, applying ESG data, um, different ways to view responsible investing. That includes corporate responsibility, as we've seen some comments from uh, CEO of BlackRock, and then shareholder advocacy, how uh, uh, asset owners ranging from pension funds to mutual fund companies can actually engage with these publicly traded companies. Uh, There's a module on portfolio construction, so that really dives into what we've been talking about, uh, uh, hopefully a faster adoption of the products that are already in the market, and the number of products is growing by the month. Um, And then we jump into ESG performance and how to use uh, the risk data that's out there and the ratings metrics that are coming from different firms that are doing research. And and I think when it's done, when you finish the seven modules, not only have you then, uh, you know, sort of uh, been drinking from the fire hose and and, uh, done a much deeper dive than an introductory level course or just spending years studying different funds in the space, but then, as it is with all designations, there's continuing education requirements. Oh, so we know that the expertise will continue. And I think that's important for anyone mm-hmm. that's a financial professional is to stay on the top of your game. 
to, to keep learning and to make sure that anything that you've studied in the past um, is still relevant or that you've got it updated versions because, uh, you know, uh, as the field has expanded, so has the amount of data to absorb. Sure, it becomes more complex and more opportunities. And again, I yeah. think, you know, a lot of, we've had a lot of guests on the show and talking about um, decision-making and the challenges thereof. And so it, having a certification just makes it that much easier for somebody who's trying to invest. It's sort of like, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to go in and quiz this person about whether she right. knows about investment. That little seal of approval gives yep. me a head start on that. Yep. And I love yeah. the continuing education piece. Yep. I don't think that's something that we got into when we were having this conversation last time. And it's so important. I mean, we, you know, have this wired database, our yeah. Wharton Impact Research and Evaluation Database that's collecting transaction level impact investing data because it doesn't exist. Like that database and the ability to sort of run some of these research questions on primary data doesn't exist yet for this field. And so surely that's even just one little indicator of how much knowledge is to come. And it's going to be really important for these folks to be able to go back to, um, you know, go back to you guys and get that continuing education. Right. And the more activity there is, the more opportunity there is for sort of having data and analysis and deep level research. Mm -hmm. And that either will disprove myths, like the myth that they all have to be concessionary, mm -hmm. or it'll confirm other beliefs that people have had. Either mm -hmm. way, we would move from um, anecdotes and uh, truisms, industry truisms, to things based on, on evidence and data, which mm -hmm. is, can can be only good for the industry. Yep, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things uh, as we look at building out this designation, as we pay attention to the rest of uh, sort of our community and, and the things that they want, um, one of the things that USF launches uh, are roadmaps, uh, sort of a how do I SRI uh, for folks that are wanting to get more sustainable investments in their 401k or 403b plans. Um, we just created a roadmap for financial advisors, which is uh, a sort of uh, uh, more of an overview, but it's comprehensive, uh, and, and it uh, may lead somebody after reading it to say, you know, I do want to go further and potentially uh, go for this designation. And uh, there will be a roadmap coming soon for asset managers, and then uh, towards the end of the year, uh, the third roadmap of the year that will launch will be for asset owners. And uh, these are all available on our website, uh, free to download. Uh, and much of our uh, uh, research and policy uh, information and education information on the website is uh, free. So, so uh, anyone out there that's interested, you should visit uscif.org. Good. I was just going to ask you to go ahead and, and give the uh, website out. So <laughs> we, we're nearing the end of our segment, but part of what I, I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, what are you working on that's exciting to you right now? Is it is it sort of, are you really hepped up about the chartered SRI counselor designation? Is there something else coming that you can hint at or give us a scoop on? <laughs> so I, I will say that uh, in my role on the education program side, yes, 100% of my time, well, 90% of my time right now is uh, the CSRIC designation mm -hmm. uh, build out. Um, so uh, that's a big focus. But these roadmaps are, are, are fun. We've got an update to our online course that will launch um concurrent with the trends report. And I will tell you that that is usually, 
in, the, for our organization, the most exciting thing that we do. Um, and it's data, so you can tell that, you know, we're, we're maybe not that exciting compared to other areas of the world. But, uh, <laughs> we love data. It yeah. doesn't get any more exciting for us. <laughs> we do, too. Uh, but we are very excited to bring that out because there is that much more uh, uh, granular information to be uh, obtained every month, it feels like. And so the 2018 report, uh, we're excited to, to bring to market, and it will probably uh, uh, be published uh, and released the week of Halloween. So I would um, uh, you know, keep your eyes out for that one because that uh, very often then uh, becomes a big part of the social media fabric of financial services. You'll see a lot mm-hmm. of infographics start getting uh, shared on uh, LinkedIn or tweeted yes. out or, or potentially on Facebook, uh, and that's that's very exciting for us because uh, it it uh, puts numbers to the anecdote. Yep. yep. I'm looking at our producer, Matt. Matt, let's make a note to maybe have you Halloween guys back on. Is, is, yep. That week, um, it's a big time of the year. It's SOCAP, the Social Capital Markets Conference, the week prior. Yep. It's a, oh, an so exciting time of year for, exactly. for impact. And it will be great to get, um, you know, to hear that data once it's hot off the press. Well, Michael, thank you. We are uh, at the end of our segment, we've been talking with Michael Young, Manager of Education Programs at USIF, talking about trends in impact investing and their new um, chartered SRI counselor designation that they're, they're working on, the education opportunities, and, a, and their new um, survey coming out around Halloween, and we'll have somebody back on there. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 132, and we'll be back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.